Hello and welcome to Harlan First and Monroe Chapel United Methodist Church's sermon podcast. During this summertime, we've been going through our summer sermon series as we go through the book of Exodus. Now today we're continuing that where the Hebrew people, last week the Hebrew people had finally achieved freedom from the Egyptians having gone through the Red Sea on dry land and then witnessing the Egyptians drowning in the waters. And so once they had finally achieved freedom, they had this large celebration with singing and dancing, and then they head off into the wilderness in their journey to go to Canaan, the land promised to them way back when Abraham lived there over 400 years ago. So although they were free, their challenges have just begun. So first of all, as they go into the wilderness, they are unable to find water for three days. Now, we're not sure if they had water with them. I would imagine they took some water with them when they left, but a large group of people like that's going to go through water quickly, and so they're going to continually be in need of other water supply. And so they are unable to find any water after three days, and then when they finally find some water, they find out it's not drinkable. It's too bitter. They can't drink it. And so it's at this point that they start complaining. They complain to Moses and It's a little more than just complaining. It's actually challenging his leadership. So now their complaining is understandable. Sometimes we read these stories and we think, how can they complain after all that God has done for them? And yet who of us would not be complaining if we were in the wilderness, in this place that's unsuitable for life, and you go three days without water, and then when you find water, you find out you can't drink it? I mean, I think that would be just about enough to make me lose hope and to start complaining. I probably would have complained long before that. So they complained to Moses about this, and and uh, they're starting to lose hope. But God tells Moses to throw a piece of wood into the water. I know that's strange, just a random piece of wood. But he does so, and the water is made sweet. It's drinkable. And then, shortly after that, they find a place that has multiple springs of drinking water. So God has provided for them. But... This pattern kind of continues in the wilderness as they continue on. And uh, by the way, this sermon is taken from Exodus 15 and 16 and 17. But as they continue on, there's more complaining because, you see, they need food too. (laughs) See, I got to say, for all their complaining, they're not complaining about first world problems like, oh, I wish I had air conditioning, or oh, I wish wish my tablet would connect to the internet faster. You know, they're complaining about water and food. I mean, it doesn't get much more basic than that. They need it, and they need it every day. And so, you know, the interesting thing about this is that they start romanticizing the past, right? Which is easy to do. It's easy to reminisce about the good old days when everything was perfect Interestingly enough, the further away you get from the good old days, the more rosy and perfect they seem, and it becomes easy to forget that they had problems and challenges well back then. So anyway, they're complaining to God, and God provides once again. He provides uh, quail in the morning and manna, but quail in the evening and manna in the morning. So that's pretty interesting. Now. We have not been to Sinai, and we don't really know what that area is like, but it is well known that there are numerous great numbers of quail that migrate between Africa and Europe in the spring and fall. 
and they oftentimes will drop down to the ground exhausted in the Sinai wilderness and are caught by hunters. And so it appears as though this might not have been a miraculous supernatural event, but nonetheless, whether it's natural or supernatural, God provided for his people. Now, the traditions about the manna, this is an interesting thing, you know, this manna or bread from heaven, it's really not bread the way we think of it. They describe it as this flaky, thin, soft substance, almost like frost, and that it melts in the sunlight. Some people believe traditions about manna may have their origin in a sweet, edible honeydew, which is called manna, that are in parts of Sinai in June and July. Uh, Scale insects and plant lice ingest the sap of certain trees and then they excrete it onto the branches. And from there it crystallizes and falls to the ground as a sticky solid. Some people use it today as a sweetener. Well, it could have been that this was what was meant by the manna or it could could have been something else. We don't know for sure. Uh, But, uh, you know, either way they were provided for with food. And hopefully they liked this because they would be using this food for 40 years the entire time that they're in the wilderness, at least the manna anyway. So our story is not done yet because they continue to go through the wilderness and there is more complaining, this time about water again, because water is a constant issue. Where are they going to get it? And so God, being the provider, tells Moses to strike a rock with his staff to get the water. Now that's interesting, because another thing to know about the Sinai area is that it contains limestone rocks from which small amounts of water can drip. And a blow to their soft surface can expose a porous inner layer containing water. Now, I don't say these things about the manna and the quail and the water to ruin the Bible stories for you. It could have been something different and more miraculous. But God doesn't only work through miracles. He works through natural means, too. And so if we come to find out that some of what God did that we once assumed was miraculous is actually natural, it doesn't deny that God still did it. I think that we limit God whenever we think that God can only work through the miraculous. But I think we also limit God when we say that God cannot work through miracles and he can only work through natural means. God can do both. Now, an interesting thing that did develop here from this story of the water flowing from the rock, um, some Jewish scholars uh, started to wonder, because in the wilderness story, there's a rock from which water flows towards the beginning. That's the one we just read. And then there's another story about a rock from which they got water at the end of their wilderness time. And so scholars started to wonder, where did these rocks come from? And And what did they do for water in the time between the beginning and the end of these 40 years? Some people started to propose that perhaps the rock in the beginning of the story and at the end of the story is actually the same rock. And perhaps, get this, here's the tradition that came up from this, perhaps the rock followed them through the wilderness. I'm not kidding. There's actually a Jewish tradition that there was a water source that followed along with the Hebrews as they went through the wilderness. Some traditions have it being a well, others have it being a rock. But it's interesting because the Apostle Paul in the New Testament actually 
picks up on this tradition, and you can tell in his writing that he just assumes it to be true. Here's what I mean. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says this. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So he's referring to this wilderness time. And he says, they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Did you catch that? Paul is just assuming this tradition of a rock that follows them around. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So he's saying that the presence of God that was with them in the wilderness was actually Christ, which, you know, that's fine. We have no problem with that. But we see here that even biblical people had assumptions of their day that we do not necessarily share with them. They are people within their own culture, and they have their own cultural assumptions. And we have to realize that when we're interpreting and reading the Bible. So, anyway, in this part of the story, what we see is we see the Hebrew people struggling just to survive, right? Water and food are scarce, and so they begin to complain, but God is not going to forgive them. Oh, no. He provides what they need for the journey. Notice he doesn't just help them skip the journey through the wilderness, though that would be nice. But he provides for them while they go through it. You know, I have to wonder, how many of you feel as though we are currently journeying through the wilderness? You know, with the pandemic, this seems to have no end in sight. Racial tension, political tension, economic uncertainty. We could go on and on and on. We are in the wilderness, so to speak, and there are many challenges ahead of us. Everyone's trying to figure out what to do. They're trying to figure out how long this is going to last, especially this time of year, schools, as they try to figure out if they're going to open, how they're going to open, how they're going to keep kids safe. Parents are trying to figure out what they're going to do. And, you know, we're in this wilderness time. And so for us, the promised land represents the other side of this. It represents the time when we get past the pandemic, when there's a vaccine and most people are safe, when there's reconciliation between ethnicities and racial groups, when politics calms down a little bit. And uh, so the promised land for us is the other side of this, but we just don't know how far away that is. We don't know how long we're going to be in the wilderness. And we wish perhaps that God could just move us to that point, move us to the promised land, instead of us having to journey slowly in the wilderness. But that's not how God works. He does provide us with what we need, though, as we go through the journey. Now, I say that, but I don't want you to think that I subscribe to the line of thinking that God will never give us more than we can handle. Right? That's the idea that God won't give us more than we can handle. It's simply not true. Just look at the world around you and you know that there are plenty of people who die from starvation, plenty of people who die from preventable diseases. We get more than we can handle all the time, right? That's, that idea isn't in the Bible anyway, but even if it was, it still wouldn't be true because it's just not. People have died from the coronavirus and more people will die from the coronavirus, People have lost their livelihoods from closures and shutdowns. 
And people do suffer greatly from oppression and sometimes die from it. And nations do suffer when their leaders make poor choices. So while I don't agree that God won't give us more than we can handle, I do believe that we have what we need to be safe and to have a decent quality of life for the most part in this time. Some people are going to experience loss during this time. Others won't experience loss, but they'll be inconvenienced and have things they have to sacrifice. But nonetheless, we have adequate access to masks. We can cleanse. We can stay healthy. But we are still able to go to the grocery store and get most everything that we need. I know that every now and then we go and they might be out of something and we might start to worry that we're going to be able to get what we need. But, uh, you know, for the most part, we're able to get anything we need and want. And so we live in a time and culture where we have access to plenty. Uh, We can continue to have worship and to connect with one another over the internet. Uh, you know, we, we don't need manna and quail for the wilderness because we can go to the grocery store and get most of what we want. So, it's up to you as to whether you want to give glory to God for that or the supply chain. I mean, was it God that, is it God that provides us with all of this? Or is it everybody who ships the food to the stores and stocks it and everything? Well, again, as I said, I don't think it has to be either or. I think it can be both and. We can thank the people who make this available for us And we could also thank God for what God does. As I said earlier, God provides, whether it's by miracles or everyday means. We can give thanks to Him anyway. But you know, we need more than food and water and clothing to get through this. We need God. We need reason for living. We need spiritual sustenance. You know, the Hebrews needed God in the wilderness, and even when He was with them, they sometimes doubted God Well, God is with us too. It's just that sometimes he doesn't seem near and he certainly doesn't appear to us in a pillar of cloud or fire like he did for the Hebrews. But even then they doubted. So if you sometimes doubt God during this time, take heart. You are not necessarily losing your faith. You're just going through the wilderness and you're in good company. You know, when we go through the wilderness, it's natural to doubt and to feel as though God isn't there. That's why we're consistently, especially during this time, it's important to engage in the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading, prayer, worship, serving others. It's so vital now, even more than normal. I don't want you to feel bad or guilty if you're not doing that or don't feel like you're doing well enough. Because again, religion isn't about a performance. It's not about earning anything. But nonetheless, these these spiritual disciplines can help remind us that God is here. God is here. God is with me. God is providing. And God will see me through. God will see us through one way or another. Amen.